All right, welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. I want to welcome all of our fellow bozos out there. This week we are honored to have Melanie Tackett with us today. Um, Melanie, I are, well, actually, we're old. I always oh, say that word. I'm sorry, Melanie. <laughs> the word old is a old. Yes, we're, we've been friends for a, a long time. Uh, 15 plus years 15 at least. 15 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and work together in this industry. Um, we're going to get going um, with Melanie here in just a moment, but just to remind everyone, um, next week, uh, I don't know exactly who my guest is going to be, I'm sorry, but I will be recording that from San Diego. The week after, though, is um, Lisa Vwig, who, uh, gosh, we both worked with back in we the... Did. Uh, the other, we uh, worked uh, with Lisa. Yeah, in the early 2000s, 2003 maybe, yeah. or somewhere around there. Those were the days, Holy my friend. Cow. I'm sure we'll, we'll reminisce on those a little bit today. Anyway, um, uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, again, thanks, Melanie, for being here. And this is a, a, t- a time that we get to learn about you, Melanie, and a little bit about your story and what makes you or allows you to be just another bozo on the bus. Wow. Well, I was born that way. <laughs> I, was, I, I was born that I way. I was born a bozo on the bus. <laughs> oh, geez. So when you had asked me to, to do this, I, I thought for a minute the other morning. And, you know, one, I'm a person in recovery. Uh-huh. So um, I actually went back and was trying to figure out how long I what my first drug was mm-hmm. and how long I'd been addicted. Oh, really? And, you know, I I went back to my teenage years, uh-huh. but then after my teenage years or before my teenage years, I was like, okay, I was addicted to food as a young child. And then um, before that and during that time, I, so I was born, my mom was 45 years old. When you were born? When I was born. Oh. I was like unexpected. and I, I, My mom was, I think, 40, 42. Something, yeah. Something it was like, like yeah. my brother was seven years older than me, mm-hmm. and they were told no more. No more kids? Yeah. And um, she got pregnant. <laughs> and surpri- and, su- and, <laughs> and surprise. Here I, here I, I was a big surprise, especially to my dad. He really didn't. It, he loved me, but I don't think he really wanted any more he, children. He, he thought um, the child rearing yeah. or at least with babies he, was over. He actually had other issues going on during that time. And I make it short. I have a half sister that I've never met <laughs> from uh, that. From, uh, from mom or dad? From my dad. I'm kidding. Cause dad, <laughs> yeah, you my know, dad. So your mom. Yeah, my dad. My dad had a, I, I don't, I think that she was like, we were like a year apart. She was. She was born before me, and then my mom got pregnant, and that was like this big secret. And yeah, here I am. <laughs> so um, apparently, I was a colic, a colicky baby. Uh-huh. And my parents were older, and back in the day, that that was <laughs> back, back, back in, the, in day. the day. It was penicillin, and um, they had this thing called paragoric. 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 Oh, so we're going way back to your first. So. Yeah. So I think my mom and dad had paragoric mm-hmm. and took it as a remedy for, mm-hmm. you know, stomach problems or when I was born, I, I guess I cried a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. And um, I was given a pacifier 
with paragoric. Really? Yeah. And so anytime I would cry, they would dip my pacifier into paragoric because that was, it would calm me down. Yeah. Instead of and and it tasted like, like licorice. Yeah. I remember the taste, and I was like, "Wow, this is." I still can go. Back. I can taste it almost like talking about it now. And it was like as as I went on into like my when I went into school, and you know, I was having problems in school, and I turned to food, and there was a lot of issues going on with my mom and dad at home, and my dad was really physically abusive hmm. and and emotionally abusive to my mom. And I witnessed a lot of the physical abuse and emotional abu- abuse. But not, to, not to the kids. To my brother. To your brother. He was to my brother he as well. He didn't put hands on you, though. Um, in different ways, yes, he did. Okay. Yes. And um, nobody wants to talk about that, but yes, he did. Um, and I started going to food at a very young age. And about how old do you, do you I was that? probably five. Okay. Um, put on a lot of weight. And even like in my kindergarten pictures, like the heaviest girl in the class. And I would always have these stomach aches and I would not feel good. And I would go home and I would get teaspoons of paragoric. Oh. Yeah, I was given paragoric. Have you looked up paragoric, the definition? I haven't, no. So I actually just did that the other morning. Okay, what did you find? It's pure opium. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's pure opium with the licorice flavoring. And And I have to because it's so bitter, it's so strong. Yeah, I'm like, well, no wonder. Yeah. No wonder I cried, you know, when I didn't get my pacifier, when, you know, when I, want I started. My, no, I want my, I want, I want my I pacifier. I want my paragoric. You know, I want my paragoric. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I was born, you know, as soon as I was born, it was like that was starting to be administered to me. <laughs> and I know my parents didn't know back then. I mean, that was that was the thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I obviously took a liking for that. And as time went on and in my childhood years um between binge eating and um paragoric Mm -hmm. that's kind of how i medicated the chaos that was going on in my house yeah i was you know in a really strict lds family and in a neighborhood that you know my parents wanted to look good that's also why they weren't using whiskey or bourbon or right right yeah yeah or southern comfort right and they wanted to appear like everything was okay. Yeah. You know, yet there was all this chaos going on at my like, home. Like everyone else, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, my brother had um, diabetes and he was like five years old when he was diagnosed, five or seven years old when he was diagnosed oh. with that. And so they were dealing with his medical issues. And, mm-hmm. and back then it was really hard to control um, his issues. Mm-hmm. And my dad had his own issues from the war you know, he'd been in the war, World War Two, and, you know, and he just had a lot of stuff hmm. that he brought with him into the marriage. What, where, do you know where he served or what? I just know he got a Purple Heart um, because I can't remember where it was that he served, but they helped rescue a bunch of people. And he was, the story I was told was that he was in enemy territory, mm-hmm. and they had the little holes, what were they called, that they hid in? Oh, um, not foxholes. Um, yeah, kind of like a foxhole, but yeah. he had jumped in there and put 
bodies on top of him uh-huh. as the others were coming through. Mm-hmm. And they had the big knives that they were poking down mm-hmm. into the bodies to make sure they were dead. Sure. And my, my dad was under them. And, you know, he, he went through a lot. And that's that's a, he stayed in that hole for like two or three days. That's a bit of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And then got out and had to take, I guess, some of their boots that he put on because mm-hmm. his were so worn out. And right. So he 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 experienced a lot of trauma, you know, plus his own family history. So back into, you know, bringing it into the family, you know, my mom always wanted us to be together and and to be a family. And so everybody got up and went to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. no matter what. And um, I remember as I was going to school and I'd, I had turned to the food kind of like to numb myself mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to kind of feel what was going on in the household. And my neighbors, my friends couldn't come to my house. Their parents wouldn't let them. Because there was just so much stuff going on at the so house. So much chaos. Yeah. yeah. So and so I was kind of singled out as this bad girl. And so the early black sheep is what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And I be I carried that well. Mm-hmm. I became that. You know, um, really, I I started to play that role real, real well. And as time went on, um, I wanted to lose weight because now here I am in in school in. You know, elementary school, and the kids are calling me names, like just fatty. And, you know, if we cut your leg open, I'll never forget this. This boy said, if we cut your leg open, fat would just flubber, would just fly out. Oh, my God. And I just remember thinking, oh my God. I went home and I pinned a dress on the wall. Mm-hmm. I did, uh, that I was going to fit into when I went into junior high. And that summer. So you set goals. I set goals. Mom took me to Weight Watchers. <laughs> <laughs> And I started throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to just slightly reframe that. So you were purging, you mean? I or? was purging. Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. I was purging. All right. And, um, <laughs> but, but the way you said it, I went to Weight Watchers and then I started throwing well, up. Well, I, yeah. I pretty much did. You know, it was just like, because they make you eat a lot of food. You know, even though it's supposed to be healthy food, right. and I, here I am, I'm not going to lose weight, you know, and I'm going to junior high, and I'm not going to be called You're go- You had a goal, and you yeah. you were going to do whatever you yeah. needed to to get into that right. Okay. And still during that time, if I ever got the flu, or I remember I had the measles, or, you know, I had chicken pox, or if I ever had anything like that, I just remember I always had my paragoric. <laughs> So, oh my. I know. And so, you know, now I look back and go, wow, it all it all has come together and it makes sense. And so after, you know, when I went back to junior high, I had lost a lot of weight and I was really really excited and, you know, I was noticed. So all of a sudden, you went from well, at least in, in within your school and your and friends or associates, mm-hmm. you you one you got noticed, but you probably the black sheep or oh total th- black that sheep, yeah. yeah. I was still the black sheep, you know, in in the neighborhood and right. the family, and um, in fact, I remember my neighbor had a swimming pool, and I wanted to go swimming, and my parents wouldn't let me, so I went out. I took the swimming suit and went outside. And changed my swimming suit behind the bushes uh-huh. and went swimming and then came back and changed my clothes and went back in the house. 
that's what you, 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 you were just being sneaky. Yeah, I was just that. being sneaky because okay. I wanted to do life, you know. Sure, and yeah. So, well, yeah, and a kid not being not being able to go to the swimming pool. I yeah, mean, it's, just, it's like everybody else is swimming, you know. Yeah. But I uh, went to school junior high. I got really, really popular, and I was pulling really good grades. And I was, you know, like I found my first boyfriend that I kissed, and he walked me home from school, and I was so excited and. You know, so there's boys Some acceptance, now. Yeah, some, so some validation. Getting, yeah, Good. So Good. I'm, okay. I'm getting acceptance and validation. And I was just so excited that I went I went on the one of the drill teams. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was like the best time of my life. And then I think the bulimia was catching up with me, you know, but at that time it's still... Were you, were you, were you purging I was, daily? I, um... I think at that time it was about maybe three or four times a week. Okay. At that time. Okay. And um, I was walking home from school one day, and I looked across the street at the bus stop, and I was with my girlfriend, and we saw my dad, and he was dropping off a woman to the bus stop. I see. And did you immediately in that moment have have those questions? I was like, what the hell is going on? And I went home and it was like, I think within that first week, my mom was like at the temple or at church Mm -hmm. or something. and, And I looked at him, my dad, and I says, dad, I saw you. Because he was mad at me. He was always mad at me. I can't even remember what he's mad at me about. And I just says, I saw you. He was just mad. He was just mad. Dad was always mad. It was like, you never knew. Dad was mad. And we walked on eggshells. Not always sure what he's mad about, but dad's we, just dad mad. Dad was always mad. And I says, I saw you across this down by my school. Mm-hmm. And you got, you know, you got this woman got out of your car and you helped her get on this bus. Uh-huh. And he looked at me and he said, no, don't you ever, ever talk about this again, ever. It did not happen. And I remember having this fear in my stomach. Right. And Because you knew it did, and yeah. you saw it, and you, you, were, yeah. you witnessed it, and your dad's telling you what you saw wasn't, right. wasn't real in the right. sense of, you know, never to mention this. Right. So it was, so, a, it was a threat, actually. Right. So yeah. later what I found out was I was originally born in Rose Park, mm-hmm. like doctor or who else was it that you interviewed that was born in uh, Rose Corey, Park? Corey. It's Corey. Was, yeah. Was Corey. Rose Park. Yeah. yeah. And um, so the, the woman lived in Rose Park that has my sister. So oh. we apparently the agreement was my dad got this woman pregnant and that my parents would they were either he was going to be excommunicated or they had to move and they built a house in Bountiful and we moved to Bountiful and it was going to stop. Everything was going to stop. So later as time went on, I found out this woman was that woman was the woman. Okay. He continued to see right when we had moved to Bountiful and I, you know, so it was the big secret. 
Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then I'm crazy. So <laughs> that's where I started getting, you know, my dad was like anything that was going on. My dad's like, she's crazy. You know, she's making up things. Or, right. You know, so here I am. Well, he's gaslighting at this point. I mean, he's, yeah, he, he's, yeah. A lot of gaslighting. And beating my brother. Beating your brother. Beating my brother, you know, and my mom beating the crap out of her. I'm not kidding. Paul, I saw things I probably should never have seen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember him dragging her up the stairs by her neck. I remember telling telling her to go to her dungeon in the basement where she belonged. And I remember always moving out of the hallway because there's a couple times that drawers kind of flew down the hall <laughs> that he would pull out and throw. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, ah. So, wow. yeah, lots of stuff. So I actually... So lots of, grew up around lots of violence. I did. Yeah. So then I met some girls at school that um, turned me on to pop, marijuana. And about what grade is this? This is, is this high the school end of eighth, eighth. Okay. grade. So still middle school or junior yeah, high, whatever it's called. Yeah, we were, they had just built Woods Cross High and they were just finishing up. So we actually went seventh, eighth, I think it was, and then went over to the high school. It was a brand new and ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th. Right, okay. And um, the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I started partying with these girls. And um, my parents, my dad didn't know. He's like, I don't know what to do with her, you know? And I became this, like, you know, we don't know what's going on with her, you know? Well, were you still, were your grades okay when you started partying? Or did they start? My grades to- started to go down okay, they when did. I started partying. And I started to run away from home. Hmm. I started running away from home. Well, what does that look like? Like overnight or for... Um, when I started having like talks with my dad, and ever since I had caught him in that instance, mm-hmm. that whole relationship really got bad. Between the two of you? Between the two of us. It got really bad. I mean, it was like, I love you, but don't get close to me. My dad would not let me get close. Yeah, I mean, he was, like, he, just, he, his armor was up. Yeah. Right, he wasn't. You no, know, and you are now a problem. Yeah. You are now a problem. Well, you know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And, but back then I didn't, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, what the heck? You know, I'm a problem, you know? And then I remember them saying, you know, when I would be upset and because they'd be fighting, I'd go out. I remember standing out in the backyard and hearing my dad say, she's been a problem since the day she was born and me crying. And I'm like, well, my God, you gave me like. (laughs) Paragoric, <laughs> and then took it away, and then you know, well, look, I'm probably in withdrawals. Who's, you got, know? who's got a moment I can, you know, we can talk about your part in this mess? Okay. It's like, wow, man, you know, you didn't, you took away my drugs, right. you know, but no, paragoric was still around. But I started stealing <laughs> pills from my dad. What was he taking? So my dad had like heart problems from a young, like middle. I think early fifties. Okay. And so he had like, and at the time I didn't know what they were, to be honest, I really didn't, mm-hmm. but they were benzos and pain pills. And so, um, when I started drinking and partying in that summer uh-huh. and smoking pot, we also started sloughing school and both my parents worked and I would go raid the cabinet and get the benzos and, the pain pills <laughs> and share them with my friends. You share them, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. And, and we'd slough school. And um, then I would get in trouble 
and then they had. I remember they. You would get in trouble for sloughing school. For sloughing school, they didn't know you. Did they know you were taking the the pills? They yet? found my dad knew I was taking the pills because okay. obviously he was counting the pills. I think at one point, mm-hmm. which I can get into that story. But um, so they sent me to a counselor to try to figure out what what was going on with mm-hmm. me, and it was like a, I I can't remember if it was a private counselor, but. We didn't talk about really any of this stuff. You know, we just talked about the fact I was missing school and I was causing problems, you know, at <laughs> so about you being a black sheep? Is that Me being a black yeah. sheep, and I really need to <laughs> get right. my act together because I'm putting my parents through hell, <laughs> really. And that's, you know, you are putting your parents through hell. Yeah. And that's kind of the story that I got. And... Um, <laughs> So I, I, I love therapists that have no no background in uh, that. That sounds actually sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. That have no background in in, in postmodern, um, you know, therapies yeah. at, at all. You know, yeah, so they're, they're kind of stuck in the uh, stuck in the the traditional psychoanalytical ways, and especially with children. My gosh. Yeah, it was kind of crazy, and so I just remember feeling like, gosh, something's really wrong with me. And I really believed it, you know, Uh it was like something and they would and everyone would validate that. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. something's wrong with you. Well, you were you were identified. You were the scapegoat. Yeah. You used the term black sheep, but really I was the scapegoat. You were the scapegoat for the family. Yeah. And and the role came easy. And I started playing the part, you know, but I, I think it was, you know, more than that, too. It was like, you know, I I think that's how I survived. Yes. Yeah. You know what was going on. Well, the the scapegoat. I mean, and I had that dynamic with my brother. That that same kind of um, position that you get put in when when either there's abuse or um, you know there's a dynamic where the the someone of of, of authority doesn't want to take responsibility for their mm-hmm. life. Let's just focus all the problem <clears throat> on someone else. Right. And and that if the role becomes comfortable i mean i, 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 I to gladly that. took it on yeah, right. now isn't yeah, right. that i mean i did yeah. i was like yeah you're right i think i'm crazy i think something's wrong with me <laughs> I'm, you know i'm crazy <laughs> right <laughs> so i would just like do crazy things and so i started running away from home and i just remember my mom and dad my dad they did not know what to do with me hmm. so uh one time my friends and i went out and we were partying and um, we went to some, some of, and they were older people, older guys that we were hanging out with, and they had a party over at like this. How much older? Foosball. What did you say? I would say probably close to my brother's age, like okay. seven years yeah. okay. older than us. Okay. And there, there was a group of them, and they would they would invite us over, and they hung out at this foosball place, and mm-hmm. then they had apartments behind there that we'd go partying, and I just remember they. We were drinking, and they were handing around a joint, and I was smoking it. Mm-hmm. The next thing I remember is that my shoelaces were moving, uh-huh. and that the room was breathing. And I mean, the room was breathing in and out. My shoelaces were moving, and they became snakes. And apparently, I went into I just remember feeling the anxiety and mm-hmm. the panic and apparently I went into a blackout I don't because I don't remember this but I hid in a closet uh-huh. and the cops raided this party uh-huh. and found me in the closet and my parents didn't know what to do with me so they said take her 
and they put me in this place called Moida, which was like a child. What is it? Prison type? Like a, well, a the jail. child home is a what child it jail. is. And I mean, yeah. it was locked up. I had a cell. I was locked in mm-hmm. with a camera that watched me. Yeah. And I just remember like one day just looking and I'm like, how did I get here? And the other kids that were there with me that were juvenile delinquents mm-hmm. said, you've been here for three days. And so whatever. So you had a little PCP, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, and I like had that. no, yeah, something yeah. knocked me. And it took me a while to come, come out of that. And at that time, I called my parents, you know, to come get me. And they said, no. My dad said, no, you're staying there. So I was there for like two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And um, I came back home and um, did it again. Um, the same cycle? Well, I I would sneak out, go party with the friends. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents then, my dad, um, they says, we, we don't know what to do with her. And during this time, I'm still trying to say, Dad, what... Why are you doing this? Why are you beating mom? You know, mm-hmm. and, and my brother was getting beat, right. and and I'm like, remember the woman? And boy, I could never bring that up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like my you, angle. You. Remember that woman <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that morning? Yeah, right. And um, they sent me back to the to same Moita, home. the same home, okay. and I was there for two or three weeks, and they awarded me to the courts as ungovernable. And they put me in a foster home. Wow. And what I remember about the foster home was that I was in the basement and I had a room down there, but they locked the cabinets so that I wouldn't steal their pills because my dad said she steals pills. And so they had the cabinets locked up so I couldn't steal the pills. <laughs> well, because you were hoping to, it sounds like. <laughs> well, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I couldn't get into the cabinet. So I'm going to go. I remember I couldn't get into that cabinet, yeah, so I was yeah. probably going to take the pills. Yeah, right. Sounds you know, like I, you know, and um, they let me come back home. After how long? After, gosh, I want to say I was there for a couple of months. And so by this time, I'm only like between 13 and 14 years old. It's a lot of trauma. Yeah, yeah. And um, I went with my girlfriends that I met, Mm -hmm. and they introduced me to my first true love, who was five years older than me. Mm. And um, he he liked me. He loved me. He he met me, and he was, like, all about me. I get now it's called, like, love bombing. Have you heard of that before that term? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that that's what it was now. It was like, he wanted something from me. I was this young little, you know, innocent girl, mm-hmm. and, but I wasn't so innocent, you know? And, and I started, well, maybe in relationships. You well, were, yeah. I mean, and relationally I, you were, but as far as you mean, you had experience with drugs and yeah. Yeah. And he turned me on to some drugs that I'd never had before. Mm-hmm. You know, and we started um, selling cocaine and we got together and I, so the story is here because I I started running away from home. I got, I ran away with, and I'm not going to say his name. (laughs) Joe, it was Joe Joe, Joe Smith. Joe Uh, Smith. Okay. (laughs) And went out of state. Mm -hmm. And And how old are you? 13, 14? Uh Uh-huh, 14. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
and and stayed with him and he put me in a hotel in Wyoming mm-hmm. and he worked up there and um and he and he probably knew also he was violating the law oh I'm totally yeah. because they were looking for me now yeah so he and he took you across state lines yeah and they yeah. were looking for me now and uh-huh. it was reported I was missing and I was with him and um can you believe that this what I'm telling you this story <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm, I'm loving it. This is, this is, I'm going to see this on the Hallmark Channel, oh which my I don't gosh. know even exists so anymore. So here I but, am, and yeah. I he put me in this little dungy apartment type one room place, and he would bring me food and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want his uncle and aunt that he was staying with to know I was up there. Of course not. <laughs> and so then he would invite his friends over to party at our place uh-huh. or at his friend's place. And I was starting to drink into blackouts. You know, there were things I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, they were giving, I remember drinking tequila. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I remember, and this is kind of a painful memory, but I do remember that I we were allowed to bring one of my friends up, which I didn't know at the time he was also sleeping with her. You, when you say we were allowed to, what does that mean? So my girlfriend wanted to come up, oh, and okay. she ran away from home. Okay, okay. and it, it was another girl I had partied with, and apparently they were sleeping together as well. And I got drunk, really drunk one night, and saw them mm-hmm. sleeping together, and got crazy. Apparently, and you, you got a little upset. Is what I got you're a little thinking. upset. Gonna... Well, I so I don't remember because mm-hmm. what I do remember is waking up, and this is kind of this is bad, but it, it's it is what it is, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I was tied down in a bed, mm-hmm. and he had tied me down. And he was having sex with the girl. Hmm. And then um, he sent me home. How did you get home? Um, Someone I else? I think it was a bus. Oh, he put you on a bus and I sent you back. I think it was a bus. And then I um, came home and I was pregnant. Hmm. Yeah. I was pregnant. So here I am, fourteen, fifteen now, mm-hmm. and so how long do you do you know about how long you were up in Wyoming? Gosh, I want to say three or four months. And they hadn't found you yet. Uh uh-uh. uh That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, maybe it was three months, but I I do remember like incidences that happened while I was up there. Because when he would get drunk, he would turn on me, especially when I found out he was sleeping with my Uh girlfriend. Yeah. And so he would ask his, he would have these group of guys and tell them they could have me. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being really dark and I'm in the back of a truck with his friends Uh and his friends are telling him to go at it, that they could have me Mm -hmm. sexually. So you were, you, you were an object at that point. Yeah. But I don't remember it. Mm -hmm. I just remember that part. I don't remember the exact. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, ha- anything happening, yeah. um, and I I remember him really turning on me as well. And then he was like, "You're crazy," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I've heard that before." <laughs> you know. <laughs> 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 
So then I came. You've been, yeah, this is sick, but it's you've been well trained at this point yes. to accept this role. Correct. I mean, you were feeding into it. You were living it. You were projecting it. Yeah. And all everything that had been, you know, had been created yeah. around that black sheep mentality, you you embraced it. Yeah. So needless to say, I came home. He got found out. He mm-hmm. was found out. Um, my dad was just livid. I can't imagine. Um, I'm sure he wanted to do and some things. What was his name? We called him Joe. 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 Joe Smith. Yeah. Joe Smith yeah. was just livid, and Joe Smith had his own issues as well because he was a lot like my dad. I can imagine. You know, because I like that kind of love. Yeah. You know, so he started beating the crap out of me. Yeah. You mean when he came back? Yeah, he was. Phys- he started physically beating me. Well, he started physically beating me up, up in, in Wyoming. Wyoming. Okay. And when I got back, he started very much physically beating me very, very bad. Um, one time, like, knocked me out, pulled the side of my hair out. I had some friends over at my house. They even reminded me. They remembered this. Mm-hmm. You know, and he took me in the bathroom and just, like, pulled my hair out of my head and just slammed my head against the door. And then um, my dad said, okay, we're going to press charges for sagittary rape. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and you're going to have an abortion. And I was like, I'm not having an abortion. This is the, this is the deep, dark secret within many families, right? especially highly religious families. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have an abortion. I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, yeah, you are. Or we're going to press charges. And I'm like, you know, I'm begging with my mom, mom, just let me have the baby. Just let me have the baby. And uh-huh. She's, she's like more of like, yeah, let her have the baby. You know, we could give it up for adoption. And, and I wanted to keep the baby because I still was in this sick love. You know, it was like, I loved him, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But you thought it was love. I, I mean, thought that was thought love. That that's was how love. I, that's what I thought love yeah, was, right. you know? So I had this you know, idea. Well, you grew up around it. I mean, think of your yeah. mom, right? Yeah. yeah. And and what your what your dad was doing to your mom, right? And so, and then my mom is like, "We always keep the family together. Exactly. We always keep yeah. the family together, yeah. no matter what, no, no matter, matter what, what abuse, no matter what. Yeah. You know, and so um, infidelity, my, no, yeah. nothing. You so know. my dad, told, they had a conversation that you know that Joe. Smith was going to marry me (laughs) (laughs) or he was going to get now he was going to marry me or he was going to get charged. Right. And so I'm four months pregnant and we we have a wedding that is at his friend's house with a a half a keg and a juice bar, kind of like a mixed alcohol fruit juice bar. And my dad didn't come. Go figure. My mom did and my brother did. And they actually, my brother had just got home from a mission. So here's the other part. So my brother's trying to live a good life, you know, trying to go on. And he comes home and I'm pregnant. He's trying to live the faith. Yeah. And he's so upset that I'm pregnant, too. So he's just like, I can't even believe this. So he actually was like very angry because that's what he learned, too. So he's angry at Mm -hmm. me. And so down at, at this wedding, they give him, they start feeding him the, not the non-alcohol, but the alcohol purposely. Uh-huh. And he doesn't know this, 
but they gave him some drinks that had alcohol in right, it. Right. So he became a little impaired. And I don't know if he remembers this. I, you know, he's he's since passed on. So that's another thing since then, you know, um, and I'll get to that, but my brother passed on. Mm-hmm. But um, so after that, we get into an apartment and my um, my parents helped us move into this little apartment. His parents bought a like an $80 ring that was my wedding ring. And it was from that time on, I was beat on a regular basis. He was having sex with other women. He did not want to be married. He was forced into it. Um, he put a pillow over my face and was just pounding me in the stomach, um, saying, you don't deserve to be a mom. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't deserve to have this baby. Right. And um, my brother actually helped me get out of that relationship. He came over and helped move me out. Mm-hmm. We we waited till he was not home. Right, gone to And work my brother or came over and with trucks, mm-hmm. and they were helping me get out. And he came home early and got an altercation with my brother. Mm-hmm. And my brother and him, he was beating my brother, and my brother hit him back. Mm-hmm. And he got me out, and um, I filed for divorce and got into an apartment and had this baby and decided I was going to keep this baby. And, um, you know, from that day forward, I, it's just kind of like my ex-husband was never tolerated of what, of that responsibility and would try to sabotage and, you know, break into my house, steal things, cut, slice my tires, throw dead rabbits on my parents' porch do crazy stuff to just... And he was in his own... He was doing cocaine and drinking. He was in his own addiction. Yeah, he was in his own Did addictions. Did you use during the pregnancy? Um, so that's that's a good question. So as soon as I found out I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I stopped. I love this story. So you, you, you stopped everything. Yeah. Just... But up until... Up until you, you know. I were I was drinking yeah. and doing things, and yeah. it was I did not know. Yeah, you know. And then um, as soon as he was born, I was drinking, and you know what? Though I smoked throughout his pregnancy, I I did smoke Tobacco. cigarette. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I smoked heavily. Actually, I mean, it was during the time you could smoke at your desk at work. Yeah. Right. So here I am. Oh, those now. were the days. Friend. Those were the kid, days. Kidding. So here yeah. I'm young, this young mom, and I'm out on my own, and I get on welfare, and my parents will not let me come back home. My dad does not want me in the house uh-huh. at all. And um, I'm trying to get support, which I got a whole $75 a month support from. From the ex? Yeah, and that was court ordered. <laughs> was, it, was that for child support? That too, was or? for child support. <laughs> And I decided I was going to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And so here I am. I'm like, I'm 16, 7, 16. Mm. And I went and got my driver's license mm-hmm. with this little baby in a carrier. And from there, I went to the Young Mothers Program, you know, graduated from school. Mm. And um, still drinking, still partying, and got a job up the state and was working in the Department of Finance. Lied about my age, said I was 18. Mm-hmm. I was 17 and worked in and did key. I was a key punch operator and key punch operator, key punch operator. Yeah. Yep. State of Utah that, Department of Finance. That job has since gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jobs that don't exist anymore. So, you know, moving forward, I, my drinking and drugs, especially my drinking got really, really bad. And I was drinking into blackouts every time. 
that I would drink, and I would disappear for days. And where was the kid? So my my son, mm-hmm. which is my older son, right. um, would be left with either my mom. Um, I had a girlfriend that would take care mm-hmm. of him, or friends that he would stay with. Um, during that time, the ex wasn't really around. He moved out of state. He wanted to get far away. You know, he didn't want to be around at all. I had since then moved into another apartment and gotten in another relationship with the true love that was also doing cocaine and drinking. And <laughs> Wait, the true love was the cocaine or the person? I don't know. They were both doing the same. And um, that that relationship didn't work out either because of the drugs and alcohol and I was just, I was just a mess. I didn't know what I was doing and I'm trying to figure it out with this little kid. Right. So, um, during that time I, we broke up, but I stayed in this apartment and I remember I woke up one night and just, it was a weird feeling and somebody knocked on the door and they came over and they said, your brother just passed away. Oh, oh. And, I was probably 22 years old at this. So, you know, moving forward, I partied, you know, until my son was about eight years old. And um, I lost it. And they says, I'm just, your parents called me. I'm going to take you to the hospital. So they took me to the hospital. And my brother, Blaine, had had a, um, it's going to be emotional, you know. he. They were doing dialysis on him and... He, because of the he 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 was his kidneys, his kidneys went out and yeah. he wasn't feeling well that night so they decided to keep him in the hospital and everybody was he able to keep the diabetes under wraps or, or no? well he got married and had two children okay okay so he he was struggling with his health like his he was going blind he couldn't see okay. very well he was having problems with his eyesight and you know, it, his kidneys went, and gotcha. they were doing dialysis, and he hated the dialysis because he was the type of kid that, you know, loved to go horseback riding and mm-hmm. outdoors and deer hunting, and, you know, he hated this so mm-hmm. bad, but um, he threw a blood clot oh. where they had, you know, put the hole to do the dialysis, right. and he died unexpectedly, and I just went down at that point and it was about a year that I I was actually begging and you know the weird story thing about my story is that I was begging my parents for help I was begging my dad for help so I'm bulimic I'm alcoholic mm-hmm. my mom was the type of person that would like clean up mm-hmm. and make everything look good and my dad would be like she's okay she's okay he, so he was the he was minimizing. Yeah, and, and she was the fixer. Yeah, and we she just needs to go to church. <laughs> That's well, of course. So, That's, that that will so solve. So here we everything. are. My dad, yeah, you yeah. know, my brother died. You know, I and I barely remember the funeral because I was drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we um, I decided to go back to church and do what they said. And think, you know, because it's like, you know, God's punishing me. If I could just go to church, I'll be all right. And that's what my mom really thought, you know. Uh-huh. And I, I, so I would put my Bailey's cream in my coffee and I'd heat it up in the microwave because mm-hmm. I'd have so much Bailey's cream in my coffee that it was cold. And then I'd drink it and go to church. It didn't work. 
<laughs> Wait, well, what part didn't work? You, you say it didn't Both. Work. Oh. I don't remember being at church and I was oh. drinking. <laughs> so I, I actually... Well, there is a number of people that said that that's just fine. That, yeah. But I understand yeah. what you're saying. Right? So um, I remember coming, waking up one morning from a hangover and the, the, here was the killer. It was my son was laying at the back door and he used to sleep. At, um, he used to walk in his sleep sometimes. And so I had all these locks up so that he wouldn't go walking outside. And I walked into the kitchen and he was laying by the back door asleep. And I looked on the kitchen table and and this is, he had been eating cereal with water. Hmm. And I just, I could not, I just felt sick. Hmm. I just like, I can't live like this. So I went up to my parents. I says, I need help. My dad's like, you're fine. You don't need help. I'm like, I need help. No, I'm like, no, I really do. And I just felt like I remember feeling like I'm not going to get help that I remember that feeling of like, you just, you know, you just have emotional, you got to quit being so emotional. Right. right. You just got to quit crying and being so emotional. This is an emotional regulation issue. Yeah. This is just your emotion. That was a symptom maybe, but that wasn't the problem. But that was like, you're so emotional. You've just got to get it together and get your crap together. And I went home feeling so lost that I, uh. I got a bottle of, and I was on some kind of prescription, heavy duty for depression, Mm -hmm. you know, drinking and drugging. And I took the bottle of pills out and Mm -hmm. I was going to take my life. I took my son up to my neighborhood, to my parents' neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And he had friends up there because he always, they they helped out with Mm -hmm. him a lot. And I said, I want you to play in the neighborhood, you know, and just play with your friends and then go to grandma's later. And I went home and I was going to do this. I was going to end my life. Mm And I, I got the pills out. I took the, I went to put them in my mouth, and somebody freaking knocked at the door. I'm not kidding. I was just like, for real? And it was um, the stake president? No, he was the bishop of my dad's ward, my mom and dad's ward. Mm-hmm. And I went to the door, and I'm just crying. And I'm hot. I've got these pills. <laughs> you got the pills <laughs> I'm like, got these pills. I'm like, I need some help. And um, he's like, I know what's wrong with you. I'm going to get you some help. Huh. And so at that point, we decided, you know, what are we going to do with my, my son? Mm-hmm. He wanted to go to my parents because of what I knew that had been going on at my parents. Right. I did not want him to go there. Sure. So I, I wanted him to go stay with some friends in the ward uh-huh. up there. Yeah. And he went and stayed with them. Okay. And the bishop took me to uh, this place. I'm like, here I is. This is it. I'm going to the crazy place. This is it. They've all said I'm crazy. Now I'm going to the crazy place. And he took me to Highland Ridge Hospital. Uh-huh. And he's like, my dad was an alcoholic. And he died of alcoholism. Back when it was on Highland Drive, actually. Yes. Probably. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. That was it. And I, I went to treatment. Hmm. Wow. And it was a year after my brother had died. And I got sober when I was 24 years old. Wow. So um, from then... I mean, you know, there was a lot of stuff that happened. I I decided again to go back to school. I wanted to go into social work in the beginning. I'm curious what the first part of treatment was like when, you know, once you got, got through the detox and you when you were you found you found yourself present. What what was that like after all this chaos up to this point? I mean, this it's a whirlwind of chaos. So you want to know for I mean, when you say that, and um, I was a basket of nerves. Yeah. I 
thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. So just raw, just I completely was so raw. You've been medicating raw. for so long. I was so raw uh-huh. that, you know, you could drop a feather and I would jump. I mean, it was just, and I started to remember some things that I did not remember. Didn't want to. Didn't want to remember. remember. And, you know, one of them was with my father. And, um, yeah. And. Did that, did that go on for a long time? Or was that? Three to five. I was from three to five. Okay. So very young. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so once again, you know, um, part of my recovery, I actually went back to the hospital to Highland Ridge and, um, I can say this Mike Duso was working there at the time, <laughs> good buddy of mine. And I told him what was going on and he said I could stay there for free for five days because mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to use. Sure. Yeah. And he helped me work through a lot of feelings and, you know, I was doing aftercare and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I had to go on some medications and I went and confronted my father and um sober sober you confronted your father sober sober and yeah. he looked at me and said the past is the past yeah go on with your life forget it that was it hmm. that was it well th- that was his mo yeah yeah mo was you know there's not really a problem here yeah right you didn't really see me Right. With this woman. I didn't do those things. Right. So the idea that he would be admit, you know, hurting you. Right. Abusing you in that right. way was not, he, he, he couldn't acknowledge And you know, that. when you're in that position mm-hmm. and you're brand new in recovery, you, I would rather be crazy mm-hmm. than admit something like that. Yes. Yeah. It's like you doubt yourself. Right. You know, and you don't want to, I mean, that's how I felt. I loved my family and there was a part of me that was just like, I was so vulnerable and he, you know, and it was like, no, my mom would like, no, he didn't do that. No, 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 no. And then my mom actually got to a point where she says, I believe it. I believe it. And um, well, she knew him. Yeah, she, she did. knew him. Better. She knew him as well as anyone, not just through a child's eyes. Right. But she yeah. knew him as an adult yeah. through all these years and all the things that he had done. And she probably had secrets that she never. Oh, there was a lot of secrets that, you know, she had that I kind of found out about and some I knew about that, mm-hmm. you know, she had shared with me as time went on over the years. Mm-hmm. But um, that was a really hard time, and I, I was determined to stay clean and sober. So I actually, after that, and I picked up my son, and I had met another guy, and um, he happened to live in California, so off to California, me and my older son. I took him, and mm-hmm. we went and lived in Huntington Beach. How old is he, how old is he at this point? At this point, I want to say he's about five, six no, 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 after. So that's not true. Let me think. No, he's... So it was after I got sober. So he was 9... 10, 9, 10, 10 yeah. 11. Okay. We were down there for a couple of years. Okay. And I felt like I had to leave to stay clean and sober. 
Leave Huntington Beach. No, leave. Leave Salt Lake. Leave Utah. Okay, right. Utah. Leave my parents. Right. Leave and get out. Well, and to be in a system in that much denial. Yeah. I, and and again, you're you're gonna you're challenging the role right of the black right. sheep and um, the religion, the scapegoat, and you're yeah. challenging the you're you're challenging all the paradigms that are there, um, primarily the unhealthy ones right. and all the aspects of that. Right. Yeah. That keep it everything in the closet and keep all the secrets. Right. Yeah. And so I took off and took him, and we lived in Huntington Beach, right above Huntington Harbor. Um, Warner and Pacific was beautiful, and um, there was a, a twelve. It was a cl- the clubhouse, and it was Sunset Clubhouse, and it was just down the street, and it was right on the beach. And of course, I'm still a raw bag of nerves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm losing weight, and I'm still now. I'm into my bulimia, like full time. That, that, that came so I out quit drinking, yeah. and now I'm like vomiting. Yeah, um, bulimia. So, so the eating disorder came out. In, in full force. Full force, yeah. like three and four times a day, yeah. like just uncontrollable. And I'm did trying. Any, did, did he know about this, the, the, the man that you went to there with? No, but I, I actually, he paid for an apartment for me, a townhouse for me to live in. Oh. So he was helping pay for this townhouse for me to live in. And um, I went back to school and I worked in Costa Mesa mm-hmm. or wait, yeah, Costa Mesa at Deloitte Tushin Ross. It was a big, um, the four or what is it, the big eight or the big six tax firms. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I was, I would be driving home, and I mean, we lived like twenty minutes away, but it would take an hour <laughs> and a half. Oh, you know, because right. of the traffic. Sure, there. right. I mean, and so I would actually get off exits and stop at different places to get food and just gorge myself all the way home until I was just so sick that I thought I was going to die, and then throw it all up. You waited till you got home to throw up. Yeah, you, you weren't purging right there in the car. No. Huh. And then um, I was still in lunches. Only, I, mean, I was still I, in food, I, too. I hate to be graphic. Isn't but that there's, crazy? There's only so much of a window, though. I yeah. mean, so if you're in the car for an hour, some of that food I was made... holding it, and I was, like, thinking I'm going to die, mm-hmm. you know? And as soon as I'd get home, I'd be just sick, sick, sick. Okay. And I remember laying on the floor thinking, this is it. I'm going to die. Right. And I don't know where this, you know, all of this, this internal I want to live came mm-hmm. from. Because when I look back, I'm the one that was like, I want to live. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reaching out. And so I had called my mom and I was talking to her. Of course, she knew I had an eating disorder for years, but she was the cleaner upper. You know, right. The so fixer. Yeah. The fixer. Yeah. And She'll make sure there's no sign of it anywhere around. Some you know. friends I had met out there helped me get hold of Raiders Institute mm-hmm. for eating disorders. Mm. So I went back into treatment and I was in there for 30 days and dealt with my eating disorder. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then got back out, went to Orange Coast College, went to school, um, took psychology. I actually took nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, we can yeah. laugh about it now, yeah, of yeah. course, right. <laughs> took nutrition and, you know, and I'm, you know, going to get all better and help all these people. And I mean, that was a really good time in my life. But my dad was dying. His heart was getting really bad. And so my mom and dad. We're having, my mom was calling me and saying, your dad's not doing so well. You know, his mm-hmm. heart's not good. And um, so I got out of the eating disorder clinic. I really, st- I was doing well. And, but the other thing that popped up was the anxiety again. Mm. 
So I'm still having all of this anxiety in this, like I, you know, to the point. So I'm not drinking, I'm not drugging, I'm not using an eating disorder. And all of a sudden I, I start driving places and I have to put my head down. I have to pull over on the side of the road because I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack. I go to the grocery store and I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack and I have Mm -hmm. to leave. And my world got smaller and smaller and smaller to where I couldn't even go out of my house. If the phone was ringing, I couldn't, I would have a panic attack. I lost like 30 pounds and they said I become like agoraphobic. So you did, did you, you didn't leave the apartment? Yeah, I got to a point I wouldn't leave. Okay. And then the my friends from AA came and got me, and they hauled me off to um, a psychiatric <laughs> hospital. <laughs> and um, I can't even remember the name of it, but I was there for about three weeks. And the big thing that me and the psychiatrist talked about was the fact that I had never been validated and I had never been allowed to feel. Well, at least in a healthy way. In a healthy way, yeah. my feelings. Yeah. And, you know, that there that I could actually feel my feelings and that it was okay. That was okay. It was okay. Yeah. And I remember the weirdest part, as soon as I got there, mm-hmm. all that the anxiety and everything went away. It was gone. The whole time I was there, it was gone. It was just gone. You, 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 do you mean from the time like you entered the yeah. the facility? Yeah, your anxiety be- yeah. dropped. Yeah, huh. and then um, I got back out of there, and you know I I was on minimal, you know. Anti- you were obviously ready to yeah. do that. Yeah, and I was on minimal medication, and you know decided to go back home because my dad was dying, mm-hmm. and um, but at the same time. Oh, I was had a terrible thought in my head. I don't even know if I should share it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I can't believe I even said that out loud. Just I just it. thought I had a terrible thought in my head. Um, I just thought you wanted to go home to help help him along. I mean, I know that's no, terrible. it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I feel better now. So I get home, and you know he's not doing so well, and then. Um, my mom worked at the temple and she comes home one day because they were giving him still all these medications, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he was drugged up as well. So saying, he was yeah. on like a lot of Xanax. Oh my gosh. And, um, sleeping pills. And so by the she, way, the worst drug in the world, practically. the worst yes. drug in the whole wide world. And so my mom comes home from the temple one day and my dad's laying on the floor foaming at the mouth mm-hmm. and she called the ambulance, called me over, and he had taken three bottles of Xanax. Oh and we found the bottles in the garbage can outside. And then come to find out, he had friends at all these, like, Smith's Pharmacy. At the time, there was this orchard drug. Here's my dad. Who had, who had, who's had a drug problem all the way yeah, along. Yeah, Which is that you get the giveaway of that is he was counting his pills already. <laughs> because way back when, yeah. when he found out you were taking him, he was going, someone's taking my, my, my stash. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. it's pretty crazy. You know, this, this is a crazy story. I didn't know we were going to get into so much depth of this, but sorry <laughs> if I'm boring you. Um, I, yeah, I don't think boring's a, pro- a problem here. <laughs> so... They take him up to Lakeview Hospital, and they put him in the chemical dependency unit. First, he's in ICU for a month. Seriously. Yeah. 
he's so out of it, you know, and it took a long time because he'd been taking pills for many years. So he, had, so he obviously had a huge tolerance if he took three yeah. Yeah. three bottles of Xanax. Yeah. Like, again, one of the worst drugs right. ever. Yeah. And we find out he's pill shopping. And, you know, this is, I'm just going to bring this up. I'm not going to get into it, but I, I do want you to know I did so much counseling and therapy and mm-hmm. PTSD trauma and, you know, forgiveness that I, I'm really in a good spot talking with you about mm-hmm. these things um, today. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. But um, I'm not the victim of this anymore. Yes, it's it's life. Of course. Yeah. But um, well, that's the that's that part of we when we take accountability for our lives, right? right. That we don't project our problems onto other people anymore. Even though you grew up in this totally upside down, dysfunctional, the inside out world, whatever it's called, you know, Stranger Things. I mean, literally a whole different world inside that home. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. So, but I just, the reason I say this, because I want to tell you, this is the funniest, not funny. It's totally not funny, but it is now. It's <laughs> so, funnier than my comment about so your dad. My, yeah, it's pretty to close. Like, we're we're going to tie ends here. <laughs> okay. So um, I get home and my mom's up at the hospital and we're up there and she looks at me and she says, you never should have told him. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> she's like, you never should have confronted him. Um, she's and she's in her own sickness, you know. Of course. So, so anyway, long story short, you know, he uh, he had his own demons to deal with, and um, he ended up and hadn't been. No, he'd yeah. been self medicating all this yeah. time. Yeah, and um, I had this son that was having a really hard time with everything that was going on, and my dad died young with his heart. Um, he was in his early seventies. Um, he's he went into heart failure, total <coughs> heart failure, mm-hmm. and died. And you know, and my brother had died, and so I took on you know taking care of my mother. Yeah, and went back to school and got into this industry. Um, started working in. I'm trying to think. It was court ordered clients, and outpatient DUI classes. And went back to school, and it's it's just over the years I've been in the industry. I'm trying to figure out how long I've been in twenty seven years, a something long time. like that. Yeah, you know, and here I am, thirty three years recovery. Mm-hmm. Really, really a, a miracle. Yeah, a really a miracle story, though. Yeah, that you know to come from all of that diversity and all of that trauma mm-hmm. and all of that dysfunction and mm-hmm. come out the other side, and then. Um, you know, be able to actually be a person that's offering the care and the services. Well, I, I had to do a lot of work yeah. on myself. Well, it, yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, the even even the parts of, the, of, your, of your, your treatment that you went through, like it started with drug and alcohol treatment and then eating disorder treatment and then psychological treatment. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm you like, know, oh, my God. I mean, th- now, of course, the facilities are much more uh, co-occurring, oh, comorbid. Totally. I mean, it's uh, back back in, in, in those days. Back in the day. It was really best. We can say that back in the day. It was really just substance abuse focus. It was 12 right? steps, yeah. period. Yeah. I mean, I went to residential treatment and it was 12 steps. And they don't touch. And that, yeah, that was that was the original that was, that was it. program. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. And and I, I mean, I worked it. You know, I worked it. I wanted freedom. You know, I wanted peace. I wanted to be content. I wanted to be happy. Unfortunately, you know, my older son still got a lot of residue 
from that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, there's, you can only do so much there too. Right. Right. You know, and, um, in between all that, I remarried and, you know, it didn't, you know, we ended up not working. We stayed together 13 years, I want to say. Um, and I adopted a baby boy at birth who is now 23 years old (laughs) and just adore him. Mm -hmm. He's just, the just the beautiful wonderful gift of my yeah. life and i mean i have two awesome boys that haven't gotten to drugs and alcohol to my knowledge mm-hmm. um and seem you know to be doing life my older son is very very financially successful married and has five children right yeah. um i mean we have problems there i haven't seen him for quite a while yeah. a couple of years but you know, I I'm a, I think I'm at peace with that, too. You know? Hmm. I think that everything happens for us. Yeah. Well, and, th- I mean, that's that, that the, the road that we take with family. Family is not... There are no guarantees of what it's going to look like no. and what's going to happen. There's no... And, and, and as many... Regardless of how many books and how much therapy one does, it really... We, we can't predict what how other people are going to handle or deal right. with with you know the circumstances that become us when or you know befall us when you know when in our lives and and i mean i'm thinking thinking about this because you know you and i i can't remember exactly when you and i met but we met after i came back from california yeah and i had worked up at serenity house for just a while mm-hmm. Or no, Cirque Lodge. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I met you before right. that. Right, we met before yeah. that. But then you asked me to you asked yeah. me to come up and work with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But that was like just within one or two years, maybe two years, two or three years yeah, after I got back. Yeah, it was a few back. years within that. A few yeah. years after yeah. I got back from California. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's been a you while. know, and I, I got to look at, or you Or as the know, young people say now, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> But the thing is, you know, I'm happier than I've ever been right now. And I look at that and I'm like, I started, so I quit smoking years ago. I don't know how many years ago, because I used to closet sneak, you know, I'd get smoke them, hide behind the house, (laughs) duck so the neighbors wouldn't say. But I got into running. Secret smokers. I was a secret, I was a closet smoker. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. Secret smokers. Secret smoker. I love secret smokers. (laughs) And then um, I got in, I met a group of friends down in Moab. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been 13, 14 years. I started going to Moab and off-roading yeah and actually got my own vehicle and got into rock climbing and some of the girls that are in that club we started a running together and we're we have a a girls running club i guess Mm -hmm. it's not a club but there's four of us that run and um Support group, a running support group. Yeah, we started, you know, and some of these girls are not even into recovery. They're not, they don't, you know, they're just women. Yeah. You know, they're, well, in, they're in recovery, recovery from, from their own thing. That, and I, yeah, 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 that's that, true. Yeah, right. So we, you know, between the off-roading and the group of people that I've met mm-hmm. and, you know, running half marathons and trail running mm-hmm. and, you know, just doing life, um, not being afraid to just kind of let go mm-hmm. and do and be it's like be 
be. It, it does all come down to being, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty happy today. I'm I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah. I yeah. never thought I'd say that. <laughs> I always wanted to say that. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm here to be able to witness it. But I, you know, we work together, so yeah. I, I have seen. I mean, I've seen this this change, and and of course, I, you know, in today's world in technology, it's easy to kind of follow someone, you know, there in life. Um, through social media. And I, I've noticed that, I mean, I, I see where you're running and I see the events that you're doing and I see the time that you're spending with the, with these different groups and these different people in these communities. Mm-hmm. And I can always, the, I mean, the look on your face, you know, is always yeah. one of joy in those, in those times, in those places. Well, so. we're us, the girls. Mm-hmm. So one of our girlfriends lives in New Zealand. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And she would come. I met her through my other friend that lives in Moab. Mm-hmm. And they work for a company that's international. Oh, actually, I did know that. I remember you told me your friend. I remember you yeah. told me this once, right? Yeah. And so. That was the new vision. Day. She yeah. would come down and run with us in Moab and stay and just go, oh, my gosh, I love this desert. It's, she's never seen anything <laughs> like Moab. It's so beautiful. And then I have two other girls that live in Moab. Mm-hmm. One's a, a gemsmith. And. Um, the other one is married, and and I think she works for a tax firm. And we would do things together, run together. We just became really good, good friends. And about a well, be a year ago in December, the mid right before Christmas, my one friend um, in Moab, her husband of thirty years, passed away. Oh my! And so we talked to our other friend in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and she's like. We want. I want you guys to come out mm-hmm. and and stay and run the Queenstown half, the international half marathon. Right, right. We're going to be leaving in two weeks to go there. Right, and stay with her. Oh wow! And the the sad thing is that, but it's what's good. But it's sad. But she actually ended up getting some cancer in her throat and had to do radiation treatments and chemo this last year. Mm-hmm. So she's not going to be able to run, mm-hmm. but we're going to be running for her okay. yeah. and, and staying out there. So how wonderful we're it's the uh, big international. I've never been there. That's just a great, another, that sounds beautiful. I'm just so excited, yeah. you know, and I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff, you know, huh. I'd be dead. Yeah. Well, thank God you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and the the whole God thing is a whole other story. But yeah, we'll, we're going to come back to that. We didn't even talk about the word fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did all that without saying fuck? Congratulations. <laughs> no. I'm so impressed. Yeah. No, okay. That's a, that's a big naughty word. Uh, all right. So um, I, I've got, I got some, some things, that, some questions. And okay. Let's, let's go through some of those and, and see where we are. Um the, one of the things th- through your story, though, um, and I, I know, I mean, I do know some of the, the people that have been impactful for you. And, of course, Mike is, is one of those. But when you, when you think about life lessons and, and things that you've learned, sometimes it's not always from the obvious people that we that we know or the, you know, that we we have or we have relationships with. But is there is there anyone that in some lesson that st- stood stands out to you? Uh, Mel, that that uh, you th- that you carry with you that's important, and is there a person associated with that? 
You know, it's really funny, but my mom, I mean, it's not funny. My mom, mm-hmm. you know, she passed away four years ago. Um, but I mean, not that I would do things like she did, but she never gave up, you know, and, and she did know how to thrive mm-hmm. and turn things into like I did an interview with her right before she died. I didn't know she was going to die right after, you know, within yeah, a few months yeah, after right, that, but right. um and I asked her, you know, "Hey mom, you know, me being my age and where I am in my life, what what, you know, and she was 93 years old." Yeah. I says, "What advice would you give me?" And she just said, "Be happy." Hmm. Be happy. That's beautiful. You know, and She's right. It's like it's it's your it's your thinking. It's like so many things happen in life that you can't control, or that you even could have controlled but didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can come out of that and find peace mm-hmm. and and move on and be happy, mm-hmm. you can't buy that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's true. You can't freaking buy that. No. You know. Well, and learning learning to be okay in one's skin. I, I lo- yeah. I've, I've said this numerous times recently. I really like that concept of being okay, being being um, whole within ourselves. I mean, yeah. I use the term wholehearted. But that f- a feeling of being comfortable in our own skin or content mm-hmm. in our own skin, mm-hmm. that, that's what I, I associate with that. Because happiness is, is, is nice, but finding a contentment. I mean, I know kind of what your mom was saying when, when I hear that, you know, find that peace within you. Right. That you're okay. And she, she found a way to deal with things and it was her way, you know, but she was very active in the church and mm-hmm. had a strong belief in, in her, what she, her faith and, you know, it, it helped her. Yeah, of course. You know, um, you know, Mike was a big, Mike and Tammy Duso mm-hmm. were, they've always been there always been there hmm. um they're a call away you know it's kind of like an unspoken sure i'm just so glad that they were there yeah. in my life when the they timing were. was rem- rem- remarkable yeah. yeah and yeah. i i just i wouldn't be where i am today without they were one of the first ones and mike was to believe in me mm-hmm that I remember was like, you know, you're there. There it is. That's that. Yeah. Somebody believed in somebody me. believed yeah. in me. What a powerful feeling. that yeah. is. And I can go back and say, you know what, to some extent, you know, even though the bishop didn't believe what I had to tell him about my dad, because yeah. <laughs> my dad had said, no, she's crazy. Right. He believed, you know, that there was something that could, you know, help me right. to get better. Was he the one you mean when they came to the door yeah, that day? Yeah, he was the one that came to yeah, the door. Yeah, well, but he showed up and was and was ready yeah. to help you. Yeah, because he 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 accepted the fact he may have not wanted to believe the story. Right, and I understand. I understand and that's that. Fine. There's, we the, there's all kinds of strange, twisted dogma why that happens right. within those systems, but that he knew and was willing to at least show up for you. Right. Yeah. That, you know that I'm, yeah. I'm, I, 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 he got me. He there. heard you. He heard you. I mean, you. I was so scared. You yeah. know, I'm like, I really thought that. You know, the big the lockup. I thought they're going to put me in an institution, and this is it because I had been told by my for so know, long, so yeah. long that yeah. you know something's wrong with her. Yeah, something's wrong with her. She's crazy. Yeah, you know. Well, that makes sense. Starting there and then, 
you know, going, going through. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I like this. I like this question a lot. I haven't asked it in a while, but I, I, I'd like to know what your thoughts are about it. This, uh, this idea, whether, you know, humans really truly have free will or not. Um, there's, there's, I know this comes out of the behaviorist, you know, model that, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, you know, and, and, and Skinner and uh, talks a lot, you know, this whole belief and, and notion in that, you know, humans are, are so predictable. And so they're easily defined to be a certain way um, that sometimes the, the not the concept of free will gets overplayed, like because we, we become so predictable in our patterns and behaviors necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I had a guest on, I'm actually a friend he has been on a couple of times, uh, David Frasconi, who has a, a view, a view about this and he takes just the physics view. He gets very scientific about it and, and, and his explanation simplified is that it couldn't, it, it wouldn't be possible not to have a randomness in this. Mm-hmm. And the randomness has, has to do with our ability to choose. Mm-hmm. But I've wondered what your thoughts on, on this. Are. I think it's an internal it is. It's an internal freedom. Yeah. And I think if you want it, it's like, like I said, there are things outside that, you, I mean, you say free will. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, I mean, do we have, do, do, do human beings have free will or is there some side of predetermined destiny that kind of falls into place that can be so well predicted? And I, I mean, I, I understand that, right? Mm-hmm. That we can, uh, we can kind of watch people do certain things. And I find myself getting that, oh, you know, th- this is what to expect out of this person over and over mm-hmm. and over again. I totally believe in free will. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> Internally, I really do. Yeah. And and I, I, I believe you have to want something bad enough. Well, your story is a perfect and, example of it, right? Yeah. Because if you, are I mean, you, are you, you still override, the black sheep, I guess? No. No. Well, yeah, and my family, <laughs> what's left of them. <laughs> <laughs> what's left of them, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, this black sheep. I'm at, she's a good black sheep. Yes. <laughs> well, the truth is most of my friends are black sheep. So anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so let's, let's talk about uh, what brings you joy. Where do you find joy in life? Uh, where do I find joy in life? Inside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an inside job. It's an inside job. But yeah. I, like if I were to say I love the desert. I mean, I can find my soul, my spirit. I can't even describe. I've had dreams about it, too, where I'm, like, standing on this cliff and the warm desert breeze is blowing at me. And I just am like, oh, I'm home. I'm home. Yeah. And so that's where I go. Yeah. That's why I'm always down in the desert. Yeah. You know, that's there's some spiritual thing about you, you, you yeah you're preaching to the choir I, here i yeah. love it and you know that's why i trail run you know mm. and i trail run in moab and i i go i love to go down and you know explore like petroglyphs and get out there in the old you know before we were here and you know watching the the cliff dwellings and stuff down mm-hmm. in southern utah are just amazing and pretty powerful mm. energy at some of these sites mm. um so i i i would say the desert i love the mountains too um i think the mountains remind me of my brother oh okay. you know because um my mom was born in alpine 
11 brothers and sisters. It's like my whole, the whole cemetery is our relatives. <laughs> <laughs> A little polygamy going on there, too, you know, I'm sure. What, in Utah? <laughs> yeah. And um, he used to love to get on his horses, and we'd stay in Alpine a lot when we were growing up with mm-hmm. my aunts and uncles on my mom's side. And he had horses, and he'd go up in the mountains and go deer hunting with my uncle. And, you know, I just, and I would go out horseback riding and be on the farms. And I love the mountains for that, you know. And Blaine, I have a spirit. He's, his spirit has been with me a few times. Mm. Um, that you feel that presence. I have felt yeah. it in the early days. I haven't for, you know, but he's been there. He was there in some of my darkest moments when I was making transitions that mm-hmm. I have felt his spirit. His presence. Okay. All right. Um, What are your your thoughts about the the idea of what the victim narrative is? What... Well, you, I mean, you, you talked to, you had a couple parts of your story where you talked about transforming that, mm-hmm. that narrative, you know, the idea of the yeah. victim stance. What, when you look at that, when you look back on that, what are your thoughts about the victim stance in, 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 in life? Well, I, I think that sometimes things happen in life that you can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. Just like if an earthquake happens, you can't, sure. you can't stop it. Right. Um, as a, a young child or even a young teen. There are things that you're just too young to really understand. Sure. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I can say I was a victim of certain situations and things that happened. But I, if I want to stay in that victim stance, I can't be free. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, I, victim and freedom are almost opposites. Yeah, yeah. I can't be free. It always will have me. And, you know, to be away from that victim stance means, you know, acknowledging for me, mm-hmm. acknowledging that, yes, there are things that you could have controlled and mm-hmm. things that you couldn't have controlled. Well, especially as children, of course. right? You know, but but um, what you can control is where do you want to be from here? Yeah. You know, where do you want? Do you want to stay in that the rest of your life? Which sure. I believe my mom did. Yeah. My mother did. Well, I like I like that that comparison. It, it almost sounds like looking at it from a uh, like a spectrum. Yeah. Like um, victim and blame on one end of that spectrum, and um, and accountability and freedom on the other. Yeah, it's like you know, um, I would rather be, and you've heard this before. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, huh? Yeah, go ahead. I would rather be happy than right. Yeah. I would. Yeah. And um, I would rather be happy than suffer but there was a time in my life that I think I was happy suffering because I didn't know I could be happy well and somewhere in there Uh, or not even happy suffering but I I guess I didn't know that I could be happy well there's that point and I mean your your story you know breathes that idea or the notion of learned helplessness where we don't know that we actually have a choice to do that it doesn't feel that way right the thought or the belief that i'm always you know that i'm broken or or you know i'm i'm, I'm crazy yeah. even though i don't like the c word that much right but it, it, <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say something but yeah. i'm not <laughs> um, well. 
that, but that you know that that notion really brings to to me brings forth that, that place of I, I I eventually just need to be accountable for my life, right? And I and I need to come from I not eventually I need to be accountable for my life and not project it on you know not project my problems onto other people, especially be the victim of other people, places right. and things. So. And you know it's I you know I work in the industry. I've been a therapist. I've been a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've been a program director. <laughs> I've been an unofficial clinical director, which is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I understand. That. I've, I've put programs together. I've worked with a lot of individuals, and the one thing that you know, it's like people that will say, "I can't leave them." You know, I can't leave my family. Yeah. I can't leave my husband. I can't leave. And I just want to say, get the fuck out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, you you can say that. I can say sometimes you have to, you know, in some situations to be no longer the victim. Yeah. You have to get out. Yeah. Yeah. And find out what that looks like. Yeah. Because there's a choice to stay in in the victim stance, right? That victimology, right? It, it 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 really, even though sometimes people don't believe they have a choice. The truth is, we always do, and it, we're making a choice when we don't when we don't choose. We're still making a choice, right? So, yeah. Okay. Um, I know this is kind of a, a work off the joy question, but um, it, how do you connect to the Zen zone? I mean, how, how do you how do you find that that um, that peace and that in your life. I, I mean, you, you did talk about this a little bit, I, I think with, especially with the community and the running and things, but how do you find that peace within yourself in the, in the sense of, of finding that, that connection, that, that connection? Well, I'm, I'm open to always learning hmm. and growing Okay. because I think in order to live life fully, you, for me, I have, I want, to continue to learn and grow. I'm going to have to continue to learn yeah. and grow and do things. Yeah. Um, I do meditate. Oh. And every morning I get up early and meditate. And I I go from a couple of things. Right now I'm doing, it's, it's a day at a time, like just a little thought for the day mm-hmm. um, that I will incorporate and I do a little bit of journaling. Cool. And then I go for a run. Perfect. Or work out before yeah. I go to work. Yeah. And um, that's you know, that self care time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also think, like I said before, you know, being in places where there's good energy mm-hmm. and healing energy, mm-hmm. I just thrive off of that. Yeah. I just thrive off of it. So the Zen is internal. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think that it does, for me, it doesn't come naturally. Hmm. It, it comes more naturally than it used to. But I can always tell when I'm out of the Zen. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 isn't that interesting? That sometimes becomes more obvious. It's like, oh, yeah. I got out. And, yeah. you know, and then I do whatever I need to do to get back where I need to be. Yeah. Okay. All right. What are your thoughts or, or beliefs or ideas on faith, um, the universe, God? What? What? How, how do you hold that? So I honestly, until I got sober, mm-hmm. um, 
thought that God did not love me. Oh. And that I was a mistake. That goes back to all that old, and that, yeah. old beliefs. And um, I found my higher power mm-hmm. in the 12 steps oh. in the beginning. And um, that was the very first time in my entire life that I was really open to and believed that there was something greater than me that loved me unconditionally, no matter what. Something greater than my misery? Is it? Yeah. (laughs) Greater than, you know, that loved me. Yeah. And um, from there, it's just grown into... I, it's just a higher being. It's a spirit. It's an internal spirit. Um, I do believe that, you know, the LDS church or the Catholic church, or mm-hmm. I believe, or the different churches, Christian churches, I think they're places of worship. Mm-hmm. And I do have this belief that, that um, we're all praying to the same thing. In one form or another. In one form yeah, or another, yeah. whatever that form is, you yeah. know, if it's in meditation, if it's in, you know, Hindu, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we're all, you know, praying to the same big source, whatever that source yeah. is. I used to like kind of, I mean, you probably remember this term from a long time ago, but I, I used to like that term spiritual ocean, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Just because it's like this, we're all, we're all connecting to that spiritual ocean. It's so there. true. And, yeah. And you know, so some people don't like that answer no. at all. Yeah. Well, of course you know, not. They but, want, it needs to be defined. Yeah, and for me, that is defined. Yeah. Oh, I, believe, I you yeah. and I are on the same page yeah. on that. Okay. All right. Last question. I think I think we talked about this one. So there were a couple songs that uh, represented, and somehow your life or your journey or were celebratory for you. Um, what songs would those be, and and why? Why would you, why do you would you choose those? So, the, and that was funny because I was up, just finished my morning meditation, and did my <laughs> drinking my coffee, uh-huh. and wrote this, scribbled this out, and pulled out my song list, uh-huh. and this popped up, and it was it was Pink Floyd's "Comfortably Numb." <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anybody out there? Is that <laughs> is there anybody out there? And "Comfortably Numb" for me. Was and when I mean when it was like looking back at when I was born. Sure. And oh my, yes. Yeah, okay. and the you know I was you know my family, my mom took paracord during her pregnancy for mm-hmm. morning sickness. <sighs> wow. Opium. Wow. That's what hit me the other morning when yeah. I was telling you yeah. this, and I'm like, oh my hell. I was born a freaking addict. Yeah, you, you're right. <laughs> no wonder I was crying yeah. when I came out of the womb. Well, it's like, <laughs> but that that is the, that is learned. You you learn to do that. That's learned behavior, right? You learn to become comfortably numb. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a good representation. Yeah, and and I still love that song, you know. And I can't believe what was the other one. It was um um. There was one more by Stained. It's been a while. Oh, it's been a while. And it's about addiction. If you listen to that song, it's all about addiction. And and in that song, it also represents my losses Mm -hmm. and the losses I've had in my life. Mm -hmm. And then Trevor Hall, um, Forgiveness. Yeah. Wonderful, beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah. I love that song. Uh, and you also have uh, Simple Man. Simple yeah, Man. On Simple here. Man. Yeah. Love. Which is, which is a great song. Yeah. Great love one. that song. All right. So. 
Um, all right. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks. Melanie, thank you so much. Thank you. It was awesome. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going to go, and I'm really glad we did. Yeah. I, I, I like this experience just because it's such a connection, you know, mm-hmm. to do and, and sit down. And, and, and I, you know, I, I, though I've heard parts of your story, little pieces here and there, to 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 just be willing to just share all of this it's yeah. just it's 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 beautiful i thank you so much yeah, i appreciate thank you. it i really appreciate it because it it has helped me to get the, just with the zen i'm to in get the zen right zen. now you're in your zen I'm zone i'm in my zen zone uh-huh. just a bozo on the bus <laughs> just another bozo on and the I'm bus and i'm so loving it <laughs> All right. Well, we will end here. I appreciate everyone listening today and uh, next week in San Diego. I'm not sure what, who, who will be joining us. And again, the week after, Lisa Wig will be here. We will go out as we always do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a good week. Bye.